The Flash had introduced us to the concept of time travel, but we weren't familiar with the method that Batman had mentioned to us on the ride to Dr. Nichols' office. The trio told us that what we had seen so far was nothing compared to what they had handled in the Silver Age, and we were determined to see if it was going to give us the excitement that we felt was missing previously. Into the unknown we went, and there was no telling where or when we would end up. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Day of Days, it's episode 50, yay! Holy crap, Fanfare <laughs> and all sorts of things. Yeah, we've been doing this for a while. Almost, We're on our... Th- Technically, according to SoundCloud stats, we're in our third year, but we, we didn't do a full calendar year the first year, so... Not not quite, but I've... Like, I thought that we re- started releasing, like, early February of that year. January, February, right, yeah. yeah. So we, And we, we'd also been working... We'd been recording for a couple like weeks November, December, that. we were working on, like, getting everything ready and getting some pre-episodes and stuff yeah. set up. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, did we record, like, the first five we were before? yeah we, we shotgunned a lot of them first and and put them in a can and then waited to release them so that we could relax yeah um, and it worked out well it it was nice but we <laughs> never stuck to that formula ever again yeah well no there was a block of time uh when we were moving out of the previous place where we, we did record like a couple weekends not quite in a row but not far from it right but there was that brief period of time at the very beginning where we were like there was some question of should we do this weekly and you know what i'm glad we didn't yeah i'm glad we didn't either it just it it became to be a little too much but also at the same time this new formula that we're doing is is working out well i think we're like recording two weeks in advance yeah so that we can kind of relax and and catch up and not feel so rushed i think is has been helpful yeah Um, yeah even this one is late and we're still recording a week and a half a week yeah a week and a half in advance which is kind of nice like we're recording this the week episode 49 Mm -hmm. has been released as opposed to, like, the weekend before this is supposed to be done. How many normally... times in a row did we record, like, the Sunday morning? Oh, God. I hated <laughs> more, that. More power to you, man. So, behind the curtains, like, we've talked about this, but just to clarify, John is the one who does the editing. Yeah, so it's it's about a three-hour process to edit each episode. Um, mainly because I have to listen to the whole thing, but I also have to edit cut and reposition a bunch of stuff and then once i'm done with that i send matt a version of the episode that he then listens to improves and then if he has any edits i then take those into account i edit that again and then i make a final version that has the noir and the uh music and then i do the upload so that's like three hours worth of work per episode um and it's just it's it, it is a consuming process that I don't put into one afternoon anymore, thankfully. I usually stretch Good it out over a few days, like half an hour Monday through Thursday, and I get it done, and I just let it go. But it's, it's a, it is a process because there is a lot to parse through, and I think that's really what it comes down to is there's a lot of moments that we don't keep in purely because they, they're circular or they're too tangential or... Um, they're too far ahead in chron- in chronology, and I feel like yeah. sometimes cutting those yeah. out is important because we don't want to confuse you any more than we probably already are. <laughs> and that's more for your benefit than ours, because if we start talking about, like, Civil War or, uh, not Civil War, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths or Final Crisis or New 50- or 52 or anything like that, um, it's just going to go over your head, and that's not the point of the podcast. The whole point of the podcast is to be chronologically parsable. It's an interesting way to phrase it, but yeah, like, I, I do think that we we have brought some value by having a little bit of here's where things are going to end up, and here's where things are sort of going to bubble to the forefront, but yeah, we've right. it, it's interesting to compare the earlier episodes versus now. We do more broad strokes of Superman as we know him now, as compared to here are these specific Superman stories that bring this kind of thing right. forward. But that's the thing is is because we're chronologically doing this we're taking all the the, the heavy lifting out. Reading the stupid stories, mm-hmm. reading the confusing ones and not knowing how to really take that and, and look at it like I'm going to soon make playlists of each character so that they're actually on SoundCloud so that you can go like, "Hey, I just want to listen to about Batman stuff." 
mm-hmm. and there is a chronological playlist of every episode we've done of Batman from start to where we're at now, that would be like, I just want to learn about the history of Batman. Because technically we have that. Yeah. Yeah, and be- because of the structure we've got, yeah, that's just a matter of stringing together a couple specific episodes. Yeah, just going yeah. from episodes like whatever to whatever and being like, oh, this is the history of Batman in the Golden Age. And you can listen to that if that's what you want to listen to. Same thing with Superman, same thing with Wonder Woman, um, Green Lantern, any of the other members of the JSA. Like, we can do that for you and we want you to so that it becomes less of a, God, there's 50 episodes, where do I start? <laughs> it goes like, oh, this is the Superman playlist. Oh, this is the Wonder Woman playlist. Oh, this is the Flash one or whatever. And that way you can just be like, oh, that's cool. And when we make references in those episodes, you can go, oh, I wonder where that is. So then you start on the other episode, you know, the other playlists. But it's more, we do have a large archive now. Yeah. Uh, if you, if, you know, proximate calculations are correct, over 50 hours worth of content to listen to that is regarding chronological analyses and reflection of a good portion of DC Comics catalog. Now, it's not complete because... We didn't do the Seven Soldiers of Victory in the Golden Age. You know, we didn't touch a lot of the Golden Age because yeah. it's what was available to us. Even beyond that, like, I I kind of want to reflect on this more broadly later on, but right. I, I think we made the right decision to get out of the Golden Age when we did. We, covered, think, yeah. we covered the right amount of Golden we Age. We covered, like, 37 episodes We of covered the a shit of a lot of the Golden That's Age, like, yeah. like, we have hardly scratched the surface of the Silver Age, and we've already gotten so much from what we've got Mm -hmm. but also at the same time what we did in the golden age was important because we got to see a lot of firsts yeah Uh, and that's great historically and contextually i think that's the key phrase from so i was reflecting on this on the drive uh the thing that i think the golden age did or our coverage of the golden age what i took from it was not necessarily the first side of it but here's what this character actually was like at this point. Like, one of the biggest things I'm going to take from the Golden Age is here's what Superman was actually like. Whenever anybody, like, mentions, oh, Golden Age Superman, socialist agitator, I'm, I have, I'm going to have, like, my mini lecture just, like, drop the notes of, okay, on the one hand, yes. On the other hand, here are all of these issues. And if this is your idea of what socialism is, with, like, without conference with the people who are actually being agitated for, you, my friend, have the wrong kind of socialism. Right. Anyways. That's, that's uh, tyranny. Yeah. 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 That's uh, what a tyranny is. But, like, having that dispelling of myths and the actual sense of this is what the character was during those firsts absolutely right and 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 not just that we have that information because remember we're doing this along with you Mm -hmm. i know a lot about comics more so (laughs) than i know about the real world some might say um but from us to you thank you for sticking with us for this long if you have if you're new to the podcast and you're like wow maybe i should check this podcast out matt and i have gone on a really long journey together through this for and we've we've both gone on it for different reasons and i think it's become important in our lives because it's just such a fun thing that we like doing and sharing with you you all this is like uh this is a big undertaking yeah and by no means are we experts but hopefully we've given you the tools and the information that you feel you know more about stuff and you're curious and you want to get this stuff on your own or you want to check other stuff out i i am still back end planning a bunch of revisits to the golden age of the the volumes that we skipped to look at you know the spirit or or the specter and yeah, like if we can get a hold of some of those right like i want to look at the seven soldiers of victory and just see what the hell that's about you know and and crimson avenger and, and zatara and and just even more of superman up to where we get to like there's the whole marvel like the marvel family like the shazam family chronicles that we don't touch with like mary marvel and and all of them so there's a lot that we skipped, but we're giving you enough knowledge to understand when things are different. And I think that's part of being a comic fan. It's the cocktail party thing. Right. It's yeah. it's cocktail party knowledge, and you don't want to make anybody feel bad that you know 
all this stuff because you do know more now. If you've listened to this podcast, all 50 episodes, you know more. You know more than your average comics fan about a lot of these characters at this point. Just, you do. But, use your powers for good. You know, don't do not do it to be superior. Do it to just be like, oh yeah, like, well, well, Batman doesn't use guns. Actually, you know what I found out? He does. When he fights the Master Monk, who's also a werewolf vampire. And, like, it was in France and Hungary. And, like, just you could just start going off and then, like, baffle them with this cool knowledge. And then be like, you should check it out in the Golden Age version of Superman or Batman that you can buy. There's, you know, back copies of this. And that's what we want. We want be an enthusiastic ambassador. Yeah. We want you to be able to spread the wealth with with this podcast. Like, because that's what we want to do with you is we're we're doing the same journey you are and we hope you're getting the same thing out of it that we are. And I think that's a good point to bring it kind of to the start of the episode. And Joanne, I know you weren't at the start of the series with us, but I'm very glad that you're here now as a signification that we needed help. <laughs> <laughs> it is rather entertaining how uh, othering... Uh, having, having a mental construct to play, not devil's advocate in this case, but the same kind of thing. Well, she's the internal editor. Yeah, she's just she's just the, the the stop clock for us to remind us that we have a job to do, you know, and let's let's keep it tight. Uh, so branching into the beginning of, of this episode, where we're wrapping up the world's finest coverage, uh, we're going to look at world's finest number seventy eight, September October nineteen fifty five. Superman pretends that someone knows his secret identity and is kind of blackmailing him to reveal himself, and Batman comes to help him and figure out who is behind this mystery but really what it comes down to is this is all a smokescreen that superman has created to occupy batman's attention with this mystery in in metropolis while he solves and catches some criminals in gotham who are gunning for batman which is just another example of like why don't you guys just team up you're already a team up just team up it's yeah it's Simultaneously, the not trusting the other person to have that open communication and be the keeping it a mystery from the reader. And it's, we're just going to yeah. see more of that. It's theatrics for the sake of novelty yeah. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, for the sake of mystery, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, World's Finest, number 79, November, December 1955. This is a character that actually was introduced in the 1940s that we never covered because we moved forward from the Golden Age. Um, but... Dr. Carter Nichols is in the Golden Age. I looked him up on the DC Wiki, and he does exist. Huh. His first appearance is in, like, 1944. Okay. We don't see him. Have we haven't him. covered him in our coverage of the podcast, but this is a, this is a great example of what I'm talking about, characters like this that we miss that show up in the Silver Age randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, Carter Nichols has the ability to send people back in time via hypnosis and things it's not important bottom line he can make people time travel that's what he does and batman and robin have kind of time traveled with him in the past he's a friend of bruce wayne and dick grayson's that's how this guy comes into play so carter nichols or sorry dr carter nichols (laughs) he didn't go to four years of time traveling hypnotist school to not be called doctor dude i'm pretty sure that's a two-week correspondence course well not when the internet doesn't exist do they still call him like you wouldn't call him a correspondence course anymore, right? Uh, is is oh, that the, elective? Am I using the <laughs> <laughs> am I using the right terminology? Even like Probably. one of those uh, like lecture by mail kind of things. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know if those still exist because everyone's kind of leery of them. But yeah, uh, I've got a bunch of my grandpa's old uh, world history tapes. Huh. Like it's just straight up, it's lectures on tape. Strange. Um, but Doctor Nichols has sent Batman and Robin back into the past to observe some phenomenon that they refer to as like the Magnet Mountain or something like that. Magnetic (laughs) Mountain. And he can't get them back, so he asks Superman to retrieve them. And of course, Superman doesn't need no fancy highfalutin science and hypnotism. He just flies so fast that he goes back in time. And finds Batman and Robin in a very racist version of Arabia, which is like Arabian Nights theme, but there's also some Chinese guy with one of those pointed hats that I didn't understand. That was odd. That was weird. Seemed really out of place, and I was like, what are you doing here, man? Like, you're, I want to say, like, 3,000 miles in the wrong direction, but whatever, everyone laid it off. Like, it was cool. And especially, this is, 
supposed to take place in what 900 was what they Something said or was like it that, yeah because it was it was if it was late enough to be post mongol conquests then okay you have like some justification of stuff going from china to the middle east but, but fundamentally this is just uh, uh orientalism yeah it's orientalism run amok mm-hmm. and batman and robin are have seemingly in their costumes blended into <laughs> this arabian landscape without anyone saying anything <sighs> And Superman finds out that the Magnet Mountain, which is essentially just a um, meteorite that has fallen to Earth, is disrupting Dr. Nichols' ability to retrieve the the dynamic duo. So he throws it into space, because that's what you do when you're Superman, and flies them back on a carpet back through time so that they return to 1955. Like you do when you're Superman. It's kind of stealing the Flash's thunder there. World's Finest, number 80, January, February, 1956. Happy New Year. Clark, Bruce, and Lois uh, dedicate some time to help out the Gotham Gazette as the editor for the Gotham Gazette um, falls ill or faint or goes into a coma due to the stress of trying to uncover the mystery story that is about some crook who's trying to do this large scheme in Gotham City. Now, Clark and Lois have been put on loan from the Daily Planet by Perry White. Lois is the acting editor of the Gotham Gazette at this point. Clark and Bruce, because reasons are now the two star reporters for the Gotham Gazette and a stupid pissing contest between the two of them as to who could scoop the other kind of occurs as a subplot while they are trying to figure out what the actual article that this uh, editor was working on is. Of course they stop the crook and everybody's happy and the Gotham Gazette gets back on track and is no longer in danger of you know shutting down because there wasn't any stories and hooray. World's Finest number 81 March April 1956 Kathar, a historian from the future, comes back in time to get Superman and Batman to do feats the way he claims that they were done so that he might be correct when he writes his history book. A guy comes back in time to make his revisionist history book legit by blackmailing two superheroes to do things the way that he wants them to be correctly written. That's that's the plot. Yep. And it's funny because both Batman and Superman totally do it they totally just do these things for this guy on the basis of like well i guess history books can't be wrong and he eventually says that like you guys have to like save a tor- like save people from a tornado in a certain way and they're like well we did it a safe way but you're suggesting a really dangerous way that could be harmful to people no and he goes ah oh, shucks i guess you're not gonna do it and they're like you don't know who who we are do you and he's like no not really and so he doesn't have any blackmail over them, and they just did a bunch of stuff for no reason. And then he was like, you know what, I'll just, uh, I'll change my book to say that it was done the way. And basically he learns that, like, lying is cool. <laughs> lying in a history book is cool. And he fucks off back to the, the, the future. And I was like, what the hell was this story? And all the while, Lois is trying to get close to this guy to see if she could read historical information about who Superman marries. It is... The most waste of time story, I think, in this entire group. Because all it is is just them redoing things they did. No one's in danger except for that possible tornado situation. Because he was like, you need to recreate a tornado. And they're like, we're not going to make a tornado for you to watch us destroy. I don't know that I'll agree with the most uh, waste of time, but very much one of the most manufactured gimmicky ones. Yes, that's true. I guess the waste of time one would be Superman pretending to be... uh, found out in the like the first story we covered yeah that's kind of the the Eh. biggest waste of time uh could have been solved in like two pages world's finest number 82 may june 1956 uh dr nichols again sends batman superman and robin back in time to find out the mystery of the man in the iron mask from the um alexander dumas or dumas story uh regarding the three musketeers so I have, I have some things about this now. I'm oh, a, all, right, all right. So here's the thing: um, they find out that it was Count Fernet who was the man in the iron mask, but they imprisoned Bourdet in the mask. That he is the guy that dies in the Bastille, which I guess is part of the story of the man in the iron mask. Now, D'Artagnan of the Musketeer group. If you've seen any musketeer movie D'Artagnan is the heartthrob guy that is probably the main character of said film. Yeah, he's the protag. Right. D'Artagnan is totally unfazed 
by everything that these three guys can do. Like, doesn't bat an eye when Superman takes a full cannon volley to the chest, says absolutely nothing. Batman and Robin, very well-trained swordsmen, dressed ridiculously compared to him, doesn't say anything. Completely and utterly actively accepts their help without question and never, ever questions who they are, where they came from, how they can do all of this. And I'm like, really? You just gonna Gardner Fox the situation right now? <laughs> like, like, I don't like that Gardner Foxing has become a verb, but, like, it is. Like, you're just gonna gloss over the fact. They did this also in the Arabian Nights Magnet Mountain story with Dr. Nichols, is that, like, everyone from the past doesn't, like, give a shit about, like, any of what's happening. Now, granted, Superman pretended to be a genie in the last one. Mm-hmm. He at least pretended he was magic. So that no one was like, you're an alien, or you have powers, or whatever. Not that it would have mattered, because no one could have done anything to it, because there would have been no kryptonite on Earth at the time for anyone to fight him. Because chronologically, kryptonite shows up when he shows up on the planet. So he's literally in the safest position he's ever been in, because no one knows who he is, there's no Lois Lane, and there's no kryptonite. Superman is fucking golden right there in the past. So... I don't understand why he's like, no, I'm a genie. And I'm like, you don't have to even do this gag. Just take the crap that you need and then bring Batman and Robin back to the future. And it just, it seemed like there's a lot of unnecessary stuff going on in these time travel stories. Specifically that everyone just assumes that, like, Superman, Batman, and Robin are the other three musketeers. Like they haven't seen them before. And also, suddenly now they can stand cannon shots. Like, no one's going, I don't think that's Athos or Porthos or any of the other guys, or like, or Aramis or whatever. And I'm like, you're not questioning any of what you're seeing? Any of you French people? <laughs> you're just gonna go like, yeah, that seems like a thing a guy can do. Like a normal human musketeer that we've all chased. And there are artist renditionings of their facial expressions and none of them have beards suddenly and they're dressed weird yeah those are the three musketeers clearly like what is happening in the past that no one is like observant to a degree at which normal human beings are like no one's like where'd you come from strange man with cape (laughs) it it really is kind of indicative of these stories are saturday morning cartoons gimmicky they 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 choose where they want to focus the camera on, and it's just tongue in cheek isn't the right word, but it's whatever. We're in for a good time, uh, and those points where they have situation, a lot of the time they can kind of just hand wave away any issues with the weirdness of it because it's hey, it's Superman and Batman. Like we've established their weird character. They. People of Metropolis and Gotham, kind of, they know the score. They know things are weird and interesting, and that's just the way things are. But when you take them out of that context and put them in something that, by all rights, feels like it should... It has an established context of, oh, this is what we can expect from a story about the Three Musketeers. That means bulletproof. Yeah. That's... That's not weird? Nope. That's not weird to anybody? Like, it's just... Like, the Magic Treehouse worked harder at trying to have those stupid kids blend in in the history books and, like, historical time periods than than these guys are trying. I have to... If I wore a hat, I'd take it off right now. Yeah, like... I I remember reading those. I don't remember much about them, but two two eleven 11-year-old children <laughs> with a Magic Guardian who is Merlin had had enough sense and enough training to be like, you know, we probably shouldn't wear our keds around here, you know? Uh, I do actually have a little bit of historical information. There was apparently a prisoner in an in the Iron Mask, like, historically. Yeah, that uh, is true. It just happens that when Alexander Dumas was writing uh, the story that wound up becoming uh, known as the Man in the Iron Mask, it he used that character and built a fictionalized story around it. Like you do. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, they hadn't invented the term uh, historical novel yet. Right. But they decided, yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, also, for the record, actually, like I read the original Three Musketeers. It was really good. Yeah, Dumas is a great writer. I mean, yeah. Count of Monte Cristo, guys. Oh, God. No, there's some good scenes in that. Right. 
Uh, World's Finest, number 83, July-August, 1956. Batman, Robin, and Superman are mistaken for customers of an adventuring company and complete a series of Mother Goose-themed adventurers that are really, really harmless. Written by Bill Finger. So, you can tell. It's it's the most well-written one because it has literally a shift to look at the guys who run the, the adventuring company. There is a moment in time when you actually do not focus on Batman, Superman, and Robin... That is, dare I say it, and for those of you who know what I'm talking about, God bless you, very John Steed M. Appeal Avengers. That's such, it's such an Avengers issue. It's incredible. And I really liked the story because I thought it was hilarious because I was like, this is, this is straight out of that TV show. It, it, that show didn't exist yet. But it's very much... A mistaken identity situation where these guys are are had set up this elaborate, um, like it's a, it's a LARPing company basically. It's <laughs> yeah. LARPing, and these guys wanted to dress up like Batman, Robin, and Superman, and pretend to be them for a day because they're rich and they've got money. And these guys set up a whole series of fake harmless crimes for them that were Mother Goose themed for them to do. And unfortunately, Superman, Batman, and Robin stumbled upon them themselves and were like. It was really weird that, like, everything about these crimes was off, but there seemed to be more, so let's go kind of follow this trail. And eventually when they find out what was going on, the guys apologize. They're like, we're really sorry. We kind of, like, wasted your time. Like, but thanks for testing our things out for us. And they're like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. Like, and, and everyone goes their separate ways. <laughs> like, it's not a problem. It's amazing. It's such a weirdly benign story, but it's so interesting because, like, all the evidence that something is amiss is mm-hmm. so intricately laid out over time. It's building towards the reveal that, oh, this what, this is what's going on, instead of it feeling more manufactured. Like, right. a lot of these twists have been, okay, yeah, no, okay, out of nowhere, but there really, we go. But really, it's this! Exactly. Um, and that's it's unnecessary, and that's how you can tell Bill Finger's a good writer, is that he actually spends the time to, like, breadcrumb. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like reading him. And it stays in tone, I think, is a lot yeah. of it. Like, it establishes very early on. Like, like I think the very first time that there's something amiss, and they, like, notice it, it's like, this, like, this trap would never have been lethal. Like, yeah. here's this thing that would have kept it from ever being dangerous. It's not sinister ever. It's always, like, mildly just confused. Yeah, exactly that. And then, so then when you get the twist that, oh, everything was fine all along, it's like, Oh, this is the way everything was fine all along, but we all always knew that this was right. the fun and games. Right, and there's there's a there's a great sequence um, in here that I'll I'll share in a minute after I finish this. Uh, World's finest, number eighty four, September October nineteen fifty six. Superman is blackmailed by a bad guy who claims to know who is what a secret identity is, and he says, uh, you know, piss off for two weeks while I do crime and stuff. And Superman's like, sure. So he just kind of stays in the tertiary periphery of the. Um, city of Metropolis, like, protecting it from stuff as pretending to be acts of God. Well, Batman and Robin come in and go like, yo, what are you doing, man? And he's like, well, this guy actually might know who I am because I remember him from when I was Superboy and he hired this little kid to, like, figure out who I was. But he might actually know, so I don't really know anymore. And, and, and Batman... This is so fucking stupid. Batman's like, but I was that little kid, Clark. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, I, d- I went on vacation when I was a kid to Smallville, and I decided that instead of, like, doing normal vacation shit, I'd find some hoodlum who was hiring people to figure out who Superboy was, and I decided to figure out who you were just because I felt like it. And that was, And then Superman's like, oh my god, you were the kid that I have nothing to worry about. The guy is bluffing. And flies in and takes care of crime. And I'm like, what the actual shit is this fan fiction? Like- Clark, Clark, when there was only one set of footprints following you around in it Smallville, was, it, it, was it was me. me. <laughs> it was me all along! God, oh, God. It is It is the most, like, and nothing against fan fiction. Like, yeah. I, I think fan fiction's great. I think it's really fun to watch people kind of take things and explore them in new directions and just be creative. There's nothing wrong with fan fiction. But this smacks of the worst kind of but what if they like knew each other when they were kids it, it is and it's like and what <laughs> like, why and, and it's not like an, and it's not like an interesting AU kind of situation yeah. it's so okay 
mild tangent. When I was a kid and I was reading the Sonic comics, and I was like early, early, early on, like I was probably six, seven at this point, uh, I had a friend who printed out a bunch of Sonic fan fiction. And looking back on it, it's like, okay, there's that character who is a clear self-insertion OC who is human and has weird powers. It's like, oh, that kind of fan fiction. Yeah. That's just like, oh, a situation and then bad writing and yeah. no real good creativity. Like, earnest exercises in trying to write something? Maybe, yeah. but not quality. It's This stuff here, a lot of it is story ideas and execution that reads as, Capital F, capital F fan fiction. Right, and there's and there's like there's a distinction for me, like like you said, alternate universe stuff that's really creative and kind of finds the way yeah. to distill the actual interaction between the two characters in just in a different way that is non superhero or romantic and things like that. That's cool. I'm really interested in want in like reading stuff like that because it's super cool to see how people have taken things from the characters and like made them into different ways or like this is how this can be expressed without the context of superheroing. But this very much seems like somebody inserted a character for the sake of, like, wouldn't it be cool? It's the deliberate insertion of Bruce Wayne into Clark Kent's life that is just like, why? Why would you do that? There's literally no... And now it raises a bunch of questions as to why, like, Bruce <laughs> Wayne didn't know any of this. Like, you don't think he remembers tailing Superboy? So that when he was with Clark Kent on the cruise, he didn't immediately go... Oh my god, that guy that I followed when I was a kid in Smallville that one time? Like, he's a hard... It's like a hard thing to forget. I want that, like, double-take moment where he's like... They both get into the room, like, sit down on the bed, and, like, just kind of going about their own business. And Bruce has, like, that moment of, Wait! Oh, that was him! Beat panel. God, I basically stalked that kid, yeah. didn't I? Yeah. Like, the, it really does raise a lot of, like, really random, weird questions that are unnecessary between the two of them because Superman just accepts it like oh thank god it was just you and and like Robin almost should just be like well you did what <laughs> like I love that Robin doesn't question it like yeah of course Bruce would do that when he was like 11 but what the more that we focus on this the more that like the the indulgent uh romance trash shipping thick just keeps coming yeah. up like because you could do like i'm imagining like the cut back and forth between scenes in smallville and then years later uh bruce and clark on the ship together ne not no oh. like bruce not knowing that neither of them finding out that the other is actually a superhero but having that oh i was really shitty to this kid i should try to be like nice to them it really is just a a serendipity for the sake of serendipity for the two of them to have a connection that is born out of this one moment in time again we're not shitting on fan fiction i i have written fan fiction i'm sure matt has written fan fiction we spent three hours writing fan fiction while walking to my car yeah fan fiction is how i wrote my friggin' comics so like don't like Fan fiction is great. Like, if you find some fan fiction, let me know. I, I always enjoy it. And the key differentiation here, to my mind, is first off, this is a professional work that is, it is canon. It is specifically, like, this is the forefront of the canon. It's not yeah. like an exploration of yeah. parts of the franchise. It's, no, these are super, the, these are the Superman and Batman stories. Uh, and also, it's being written for other people people primarily instead of doing sketches for yourself yeah. uh there is an exercise exactly. or just or just for mm -hmm. fan enjoyment exactly that this is saying that this is what these characters are and we're saying that's kind of lazy writing yeah that's really what it is is that nowhere 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 other than like that weird like kid justice league cartoon i think that existed once or twice nowhere do Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent know each other when they're kids? In anything I have ever read, even in multiverses, in what-ifs, I've never seen them know each other when they were kids. And it's just like, you don't do it, man. Not because it's, like, taboo, but just the idea that nothing is to be gained from this. Because if Bruce Wayne had a friend like Clark Kent when he was a kid, he wouldn't be Batman. <laughs> 
Oh, like, you're right. Yeah. Like that's yeah. really what it comes down to is you don't give Bruce Wayne friends because <laughs> then he doesn't become Batman. Clark is his therapy flu. Yes. Yeah. Like there's literally nothing to be gained from that. And that's what it is. It's just like it felt like they didn't know what to do. Like this guy knows that Superman is Clark or he's bluffing. And the only reason that Clark remembers him is because he saw some kid tailing him when he was Superboy. Like, that seems like the pitch that was given. And then someone goes, but what if it was Batman? It It's too neat. Yeah. Uh, one of the... Th- I'll talk about this in my recommendation at the end, but... Like, there is so much power in writing where it isn't just... Oh, this is the logical first thing you think of when you think of what happens next. Or what is the solution to this problem. No, everything in here is just the easiest first answer. Oh, well, of, of course you shouldn't be worried that this guy knows what your secret identity is. The kid that was telling you was Bruce. So your secret's still safe. It's it's, it's like it's it never... It like, it's like it never even mattered. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I just want to leave my section with quite possibly my favorite sequence that happens in the Mother Goose Mysteries. Uh, as a guy runs out of a room and a, a cage is dropped on Superman, Batman, and Robin, Robin is just losing his mind. <laughs> like he's like, "We're trapped!" And the largest type, biggest bubble, exclamation point. And my favorite is Batman's response: "Don't be so melodramatic, Robin. You're forgetting Superman is with us. He can open steel bars with his pinky." Like. I love that Batman's like, we're with Superman, chill out, alright? Like, it's not like it's just you and me and it's a giant bell jar for guinea pigs that are too big. God, that's right. (laughs) Oh, man. Where were you when that was going down? Oh, man. Oh, that's a good callback to episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I just like the idea that Batman is fully aware of the situation that they're in. Enough so to calm his psychic down and be like, bro, chill, Superman's here. Even I know we're okay. <laughs> like, and I'm not even going to try to break this with, like, a bat soldering torch, like, you know, or whatever. Like, Superman's here. It's cool. It's like somebody going, like, we're out of nuts! And it's like, nah, man, like, you just can't open the jar. There's cashews over there. Like, watch. <laughs> and I love that Robin is, like, double wrong. Yeah. Because it's also, like, balsa wood, right? <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like wood painted to look like steel. So even, even if, like, Robin had tried to, like pry his way out because he was claustrophobic or something. He would have done it instantly and be like, oh. Oh, it's, it's fake, guys. It's cool. And then both Batman and Superman would have been like, yeah, we know. Do you think man. Batman ever uses his deductive powers to just not freak out whenever anything happens? I'm sure that's like 90% of his day. <laughs> and Robin's still just like baffled by the mysteries of the world. Batman's just like, nah, man. It's, it's cool. <laughs> and Robin's like, why aren't you freaking out about things? And Batman's like, because I pay attention. I like Stupid that, child. I like the idea that Robin is just hyper-caffeinated at all times. Oh, God. <laughs> we had opinions on this one. Oh, boy. Uh, to sort of append my own version of that. So I, I actually misunderstood which chunks we were reading for last episode. Ah. So I actually read all this stuff as well <laughs> in preparation for that. So this week, when I sat down and was like, okay, time to read the new stuff. Oh, I guess I already read... Yeah, okay, I read all of these. As soon as I started flipping through it, I just had this immediate visceral, oh, God damn it, this shit. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Like, last time, I was I was not as opinionated last time. I remember because, you mentioning it. Yeah, because yeah, I, I didn't like it, but I still, like, there were... It was okay. But now that we're at the end of our two-parter episode on World's Finest, it's like, okay, I thought that there was there was a whole other half where something interesting and different could happen, and I could learn something different from this. It's like, no, it is exactly what you thought nope. it was. At least for this chunk that we're looking at, it is just this. And I got livid. It really, it really is just a... I know we already used the title for Hawkman when we re- we called it Disappointment on Metal Wings, but <laughs> this is just a weird cacophony of forced, overwrought, unnecessary drama. I think the forced is a lot of it. Like, you get a concept, and then what's the neatest way to 
pull all of those threads together. Yeah, and it's it's such a it's such a shame. But I will say this: there are moments that I really like that demonstrate that there is at least a couple writers out there who understand how to use two characters that are powered and unpowered in a cooperative way that makes me excited for the JLA book mm-hmm. because they might actually just be them cooperating as opposed to you go here, you go here, you go here and then we watch two pages of you solving your respective locations problem which is what my issue was with the JSA issues yeah. that we read those um, were those were solo stories right. just in anthology they were form. they were they were a bunch of guys doing other stuff in a house and i feel like these stories are a lot more collaborative, cooperative, and show an actual ability of at least, or at least an attempt at showing them working together with their different strengths. Yeah. The fact that, yeah, like the fact that there was a Robin Superman issue showed that, yeah, we can have Superman with Robin and it's not a problem. I'll agree. And I think, we touched on this last time, but I do want to reiterate. I think a lot of the reason it works for the powered, non-powered dynamic especially is the fact that so many of the threats in this have nothing to do with combat. Yeah, they're, they're lowest. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're lowest, and how do we get back to the future? And, and the fact that they, they put the threat at the end so often. The, yeah. Uh, the fact, hey, what... What, they have the mystery the whole way through, but it's like, hey, you ha- had poison dust. Hey, uh, there was this other reason I was trying to keep this thing secret because you would have gotten yourself in danger if you'd been investigating. Like, they... I, I used the description of showing the barrel of the gun in the past, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, they they bury that barrel. It's almost like it never mattered. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's really, it really is. It's it's just the idea of, we'll tell you what the danger was at the end, because really it wasn't important. What is important is watching Superman and Robin hang out, and watching Batman get super depressed. Yeah. That was what was important yeah. in that issue. Not the fact that Batman had been poisoned, and he was in danger of dying if he went outside and did calisthenics. It was, we want to show Batman getting jealous of Superman spending time with Robin. So that's an interesting one because that the thing that's missing is this it's but the stakes aren't what's missing I guess it one way or another like my the way I sort of felt through all of those was the that they were lazy for relying on the mystery so much and that it became transparent I think yeah. is a lot of it like okay yeah, you're just you, you're gonna you're gonna twist this at the end, and that's going to be what makes this make sense. Uh, the rest of it is just oh hey, there's a mystery that is going to be revealed at the end, uh, yeah. th- and there's no ability to unravel the mystery. Is I think the other key thing, the, unless it's being written by Bill Finger. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's that's a reasonable way of looking at it. That those are stories where. Nothing that happens before the twist is revealed matters. Right. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, I'm thinking about, like, mystery novels where the mystery is what's pulling you forward, but there's that, like, dosing out of clues where individual chunks make sense and matter, and there are developments that matter, whereas this is just, no, there's nothing that matters here except for that reveal at the end. Yeah. Yeah quick bits here uh first off uh creative team so edmund hamilton who did the edits not the like overall editor uh but uh, that was jack ship at this point but the the local editor i suppose uh he co-created the space opera subgenre and had a series that was adapted by toei animation yes and then uh dick sprang who is one of the artists right. apparently like one of his things after he left uh, DC was he surveyed a whole bunch of pioneer trails and he discovered a, like a really intact uh, 13th century Anasazi Native American building. Dick Sprang, everybody. Yeah. And it, like, 
if nothing else, like, the Wikipedia article didn't mention them, like, ransacking the place, so hopefully they just kind of showed up, looked around and said, this is awesome, and brought people in. God, but, God willing. Uh, Protect Dick Sprang. History. <laughs> to let me ever find anything bad about Dick Sprang. Fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I actually finally have a oh, recommendation. Oh, shit! Oh, shit! I'm using, I'm using the week... That we the are extra not three re- days. Yeah, the the amusing, extra three amusing, days. Amusing the, well, basically, I'm using the week that we normally, that I normally take to to start reading the material and read some new stuff. So I finished a comic called Ringside that I mentioned a couple uh, episodes ago. Oh, nice! Um, and I, I read the full volume. It's a comic about re- wrestling in the sense that one of the main characters is a former wrestler and he is going about some stuff now. I had read the first issue and it was very intriguing. Having read the full volume, I'm it's a it's a tentative recommendation, but I, but it's an interesting read. And the reason I'm recommending it is because it's a great example of doing too much and how that can hurt you. So there are like three plots that are happening in the entire world of Ringside. And while I can see their importance and I can see why the writer wants to do them. One of them is the main plot. One of them is a story following two wrestlers, a young one and an old one, and like their conversations about the industry. And then there's like kind of a third floating plot that is the main character and his buddy meeting. And then there's also this like writer who works at the wrestling company and kind of how that's like a problem because the creative team is whatever. There's too many characters in the first six issues that don't actually service the main plot because the writer in my opinion i don't know if this is true i'm not going to bag on it but i feel like the writer is trying to put as much as they possibly can of all these plans that they've got in their head in the first six issues to sell the idea of the comic as opposed to telling a complete compelling story within those first six issues and selling the world Mm -hmm. and i think that's why the comic suffers in my opinion um love the art the writing is really interesting um i'm interested in the main plot i want to see where the two wrestlers go i'm really curious about what storyline he's doing with the guy who's the writer like i'm I'm in with all of these but the problem is they're all 30 percent in and I can only devote so much time to caring about each one because they're not even in, like, one of them is, like, not even in a couple issues. And I forgot. And I was like, oh, yeah, you guys are a plot. And it doesn't go anywhere. Like, yeah, there's a conclusion to the to the side plot that we see, but it doesn't affect the main plot. So I'm kind of like, why am I seeing this? And to me, I'm like, just write two comics. Just write two different comics. I would read both. I will, I will read both of these comics. Don't put them in the same comic because they detract from each other. And it's a good exercise if you're looking at comics writing to just look at this and be like, oh, I could have used more here. Like, there's flashbacks that I'm seeing in the main character of him and the guy that he's trying to help. And I'm like, I want to see more of that. Show me their relationship. Show me why they matter to each other. Show me all that history. I want all that. That looks cool. I love all that meaty character drama that drives where this plot is going. And we won't have that because we'll have three, four pages of these two other wrestlers. And I'm like, not that I don't want to read about them, because they're also interesting too, but I was kind of in the zone with this, like, hard-boiled kind of pseudo-noir thing going on, and I want to know where that's going, and you just took a... I don't have a palate cleanser. It would be better if each, if every other issue serviced the, the different characters and the different plots but it would also move the story along a lot slower and it just kind of felt a little cramped. But if you have the opportunity to read the first couple of issues and you don't mind checking it out, I would say check it out. Nice. I might need to check that out. Like the the idea of a wrestling quasi-noir. Yeah. I can, that's I can fucking def- fascinating. Yeah, I'll definitely let it to you. It's, it's, it's interesting to at least go like, yeah, I can see where this is going and I'm really... Like, I'm, I'm into it and you, you'll see why I'm into it because like, yeah, it's it's good. It's well written but it feels like it just wasn't plotted out correctly for the medium of comics and I think that's really the only thing that hurts it 
is just taking pages away from certain plot points and delivering something else and it's just like I don't want this to just be piecemeal do a full issue of just these guys or do two full issues of just the two wrestlers and then give me the rest of the stuff but that's not what happens and it's kind of frustrating so on my end uh, I've already hawked this on here but I'm gonna do it again because I finally caught back up all new Wolverine hmm uh, finally got cut up, uh, was not a fan of the first issue of Red, like, it... X-Men Red? Yeah. Oh. Uh, which also involves, uh, Laura. It... Eh, Red, not there yet. Uh, maybe it'll improve, I don't know. Like, first issues are always going to be a little bit crazy. Uh, but this most recent arc of, uh, All New Wolverine just worked for me. And a lot of it came down to what I kind of talked about earlier, like the value of having writing that is mature and thought out enough to not be like, oh, obviously this is how these pieces put together. This is obviously how this character is going to respond. Like it is a step or two more thought out in mm. each case. The characters' reactions are are richer. The 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 intents of the villains like their backstories are more thought out and more more engaging uh and it just fucking worked for me the art some of the metaphors that they do in the art and the way the paneling is set up it's like you know that works like i can the particular way that they like there's a bit where they're uh, calling back to uh, Laura's history with like the trigger scent and being the the murder child and having like silhouettes of like her shadow as she's sort of talking about some of this stuff and the silhouettes are on fire like mainly on the claws like okay you get like the fire combat analogy but it's also the sil the flatness of the silhouettes, uh, the fact that it's like the flame starts at the claws and goes part way up, but it's not like oh here is a person like consumed by fire. It the little bit of extra execution and thoughtfulness of how you use those metaphors or tropes and those reactions and those emotions just works. I very much enjoyed that. There you go. Well, that will wrap up episode 50. Woo! We're going to get to work on episode 51 because we don't stop, can't stop. And, Ain't uh, no party like a yeah. detective party. Like a because detective the party. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to keep plugging along. Uh, follow us on Twitch if you haven't already. We're, we're having a lot of fun there. I'm, I'm working out what our schedule is going to be for that so that's kind of be a little bit more reliable. Um but thank you again for listening for 50 episodes god help you <laughs> uh, but we appreciate it we appreciate you suffering through all of our inside jokes and, and all of our ridiculous arguments about things that don't matter and, and we we hope you are enjoying your time and we always treasure all of our gumshoes and thank you DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and DCDetectivesPodcast.com. We stumbled out of the past, accompanied by three musketeers and another batch of stories. By this point, we've built up quite a case file on all the biggest heroes of the Gold and Silver Age. We said our goodbyes to the world's finest, then we took a few minutes and reflected on the past two years been a hell of a ride. There wouldn't be much time to relax, though. For the next investigation, we'd be tailing Diana Prince. <laughs>